It's the Ag Ship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the founder of the Ag Ship, a credentialed outlet and newsletter delivering Utah State football, men's basketball, and women's basketball feature-length stories and reporting to your inbox several times per week. You can subscribe at www.theagship.com at either the $6 or $10 a month tier. You, if you'd like, you can try the $10 tier, which is the flagship tier, free for one month. If you click on the one free month button in the welcome to the ag ship post or any of the film study posts the ten dollar tier gets you access to those film studies will also get you access to the monthly podcast q a um which is coming up pretty soon here i'm gonna have to probably do that i think next week so if you're interested now is a good time if you have questions about any any utah state stuff uh schematic or otherwise uh, now is a good time to give that a try. There's also a story in there that I put up this week that you'd be able to access uh, with that with that tier. Um, you can follow the outlet on Twitter at the Agship and me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You can also, as you might know, you might be listening to this on one of your podcast players. You can now listen to this show on most, if not all, of the podcast players: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon's uh, Stitcher. I think Deezer, uh, Overcast, any of the, any of the big ones, I believe it should be on there. If there's one that it's not on that you listen to the show on, or that you'd like to listen to the show on, please let me know on Twitter, and I'm I'm happy to try and get it up there. Um, but with that, I have two requests. One, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and you like the show, you like the site, please go on to the the show's page on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. It, it helps me out. It grows the show, um, and it lets me lo- know that you like it. Uh, if you like it but you're not on Apple Podcasts, or you are but you're just feeling generous and you, you have friends who you think would enjoy this, who would enjoy you know, weekly Utah State monologues, um, please do share it with them. It's a lot easier to do with the apps now. I know that's it's a it's a, a tall task to listen to a, a full podcast on the <clears throat> just the website player. Um, but if you have friends who you think would like this, please do share the link with them on Twitter or otherwise. Um, it's much appreciated. Your support is directly responsible for keeping the ag ship going, growing the ag ship, and, and uh, I, I greatly appreciate it either in your subscriptions or in sharing the show, sharing the outlet. Um, it is uh, it's much appreciated. I've got a couple things to hit on this week. There's still not a whole lot of news going on in the world of college football, which is not a huge surprise. I, I would guess that the next big cycle of news is probably going to come from Media Days, which is coming up. It's usually in July, but as we sit here on the morning of June 25th, there's not a ton going on. So it's going to be a pretty insular episode. I'm going to talk about the stories that went up on the site this week. There's one on the quarterback room, just a a pretty standard quarterback room preview. And then there's one that I'm going to try and dive into a little bit more in detail here, which is the six-man pressures story that I wrote this week, the film study. Um, I'm going to say ahead of time before I dive into that. If you are interested in scheme, if you're interested in film stuff, um, and you are not subscribed to the ten dollar tier, uh, I would I would highly suggest it. I think that the the story does a better job of explaining what these are than I can do with my voice. It has videos included or, or, or gifs. It has lots of quotes from smart people, um, including Efrem Banda, who knows more about Utah State's blitz, blitz packages and defense than anybody on earth, um, and Cody Alexander, who writes, who writes Match Quarters, which is a newsletter about football scheme. He is a football coach. Um, I talked to him to get a 
get a better sense of what some of the verbiage means, what some of the the scheme means, how it works. Um, <clears throat> both of those guys are quoted extensively in the story. I can't really do it here in an audio form, but I think that they are helpful, and I think that it, it adds to understanding what this is and what Utah State gets out of it. So I'm going to start with the bigger story. I'm going to start with the pressures. So I, I think that as uh, you know, I try to come at film studies from a place of making it pretty easy to understand what's going on. I don't, I don't like to use a lot of coach terminology. There's a lot of coach, coach terminology that is lost on me, and I'm somebody who who follows this stuff pretty closely, pays a lot of attention to scheme. But there's still there are things that I think are too insular to that culture to really understand from without. And I try to boil it down as best I can, but I think that there's stuff that still can uh, some nuance that can be lost in writing a story that I'm going to try and hammer out here on this podcast. So again, if you're interested in this stuff, um, I think this episode is going to be good for you. It's it's sort of, think of it as kind of a companion piece to that story. Um, but if you're interested in this stuff and you haven't read that story, you aren't subscribed, I would highly, highly recommend it. I think that you will enjoy the story. You can get it for a month free. You can just try it just to see. Um, and then I would probably read that first and then come back to this podcast if you're interested in it. Now, if you're not interested in Scheme, this probably isn't going to be the podcast for you. I'm going to talk quarterbacks a little bit later, uh, and that that won't be really scheme-related probably 20, 25 minutes from now. But for the first half of this show, the first three-fourths of this show, it's going to be scheme stuff. And if that's not something that you're interested in, I, I, don't, I don't know that this episode is necessarily for you. But if it is, this should help to sort of explain some of the stuff that I was writing in that story. Um, so <clears throat> first things first, to understand... Six-man pressures, to understand what that means, why Utah State uses it, what it does for Utah State, I think that we need to contextualize a little bit. We need to contextualize specifically Ephraim Bondo, where he comes from, where this system comes from, its, uh, its, its roots. Something that I really, really like to do in film study stories and just in general is trace coaching trees. I really like to trace the lineage of where football ideas come from, because I, I think it's interesting, and I think that it's important to add a sam- to add, add sample size, right? We can get a, a much greater look at how these things work, and you know what their strengths and weaknesses are when we can watch more than one team doing them. And so tracing these things that, that like Utah State is now doing back to their roots, I think is really important for understanding how they work. And so to understand what these are, what six-man pressures are, how Utah State uses them, we have to understand the tree that he comes from, which is directly the Manny Diaz tree. Uh, Manny Diaz, of course, the head coach at Miami for the last five years or so now at Penn State. He was the defensive coordinator at Miami before that. Um, And then before that, he was all over the place. He was at Mississippi State for a year. He was at Louisiana Tech for a year. He was at Texas for a couple years under Mac Brown. Uh, Before that, he was at Middle Tennessee State. He's been all over. You probably know about Manny Diaz. You've probably seen his defense play. The 2017 Miami defense is the one that I use as an example. Um, As I was looking at this, I think it's the best example. But Bonda is from the Manny Diaz tree. He is part of a group of a couple coaches who are from the Manny Diaz tree that were on staff together at Texas, that were on staff together at Miami, that have been together for a really long time. It's Diaz, Bonda, uh, Blake Baker, 
who is now the defensive coordinator at Missouri. He was at LSU last year. And then I also included Craig Kuligowski. He was with Miami for a couple years. He's honestly more of a Gary Pinkle guy. He was at Missouri for a really long time. He's at Toledo now. Um, but I want to count him as well because he's running similar things. So the the Diaz tree is the one that Bonda can, can sort of claim uh, as, as his own. The Diaz tree expands. Diaz is a branch off of a larger tree, uh, which would be the Mickey Andrews tree. This is a big, big tree. This is a significant defensive tree, and, and Andrews has connections back to Bear Bryant. I don't think that that's really necessary for me to delve into here because there's not a whole lot of similarities between Bear Bryant and modern college football defenses, but it bears, mention, bears mentioning quickly all the same. So Mickey Andrews is the person who from whom Manny Diaz picked up a lot of defense. Diaz was a GA under Mickey Andrews at Florida State. Andrews, for those of you who don't know, was the defensive coordinator at Florida State from, I want to say, 1984 to 2009. He was there for a really long time. And this is the golden era for Florida State defense, right? He was the person coaching up the Deion Sanders defenses. He was the person leading those dominant 1990s Florida State defenses. And the way that he did it, along with having you know, Deion Sanders and five-star talent all over the field is with fire zone, which is a, it's a style of zone blitz and zone blitzes have been around forever, but fire zone is a little bit unique because it's largely a five-man pressure scheme, which just means that you're bringing, you know, in Andrew's case, he runs a four, three or ran a four, three. So it'd be four defensive linemen. And then one guy from the back seven, it could be a linebacker, it could be a cornerback, it could be a safety, doesn't matter. And sometimes he'd bring more than five, but largely speaking, Andrews was a five-man pressure person. He was a, a zone pressure person. And the reason that he liked zone blitzes and the reason that most coaches like zone blitzes is because it's safer, because you are not asking your defensive backs, your college-age defensive backs to play man coverage. You are not putting them on an island. They are still playing a zone. They're just doing it with a little bit more help in pressuring the passer, right? So that was a Diaz staple for a really long time. Was the fire zone, zone blitz? It's that was what he did when he, you know, when he went off on his own. He started at NC State, went to Middle Tennessee State, landed at Texas. All the way through that era, he is a zone blitz, fire zone guy. He gets to, you know, he 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 sort of the Texas tenure doesn't end positively for him. I, I don't think that it was entirely his fault, but the, just things sort of fall apart there. He goes to Mississippi State in 2014, or, or Louisiana Tech in 2014, Mississippi State in 2015. His core of guys are still kind of around him at this point. Um, I believe that Bonda reunited with him at Mississippi State in 2015 after they were apart in 2014. It's around this time 2015 that Diaz and Bonda and a couple of these other coaches start to workshop a new way of doing things and they're doing it still at its core they are still a zone blitz defense they are still largely playing zone in the back end and blitzing up front to complement that zone but they switch around this time 2015 2016 they switch to six-man pressures which is a big difference it's one guy but it's a big, big difference. It's a major shift. And they pull this from Michigan State, from Pat Narduzzi, from Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. They had very good defenses in the early 2010s, and this is how they did it. They were one of the only defenses doing this. It was these six-man pressures. And 
Diaz and Banda and Baker and Kuligowski to some extent see this and they want to add it into their defense. And so they rework the defensive pressure packages that they have around six-man pressures and they build from there. And by the time Diaz gets to Miami with Banda and eventually with Blake Baker, Baker shows up later as does Kuligowski. Um, by the time they get there, they have pretty much installed these six-man pressures. This is largely what Miami does. Miami still did some fire zone. It was not until more recently that they really went away from that in full, but largely speaking, at this point, Diaz is doing six-man pressures rather than fire zone, which is where Bonda has really learned a lot of the stuff that he's doing at Utah State now. So the the benefit of the six-man pressures is pretty simple. It, it's it's There's a couple things that it can do for you. Against the run is is where it has its greatest strength and that's it's a numbers game very simply it is a numbers game you can bring six guys in pressure the offense only has five offensive linemen to match up one-on-one across the board they're going to need to dedicate an extra blocker to handle what you're doing that's not really ideal especially because even then it's still six on six offenses like to have an advantage they like to have a numbers advantage they like to have five on four or six on five so six on six creates one-on-one matchups across the board, and that's just not ideal. It's it's just not. You it's really hard as an offense to win six concurrent one-on-one matchups in blocking. It's hard to do. It's a lot to ask. Because you need your all your offensive linemen to win against defensive linemen, presumably, and then you also need your tight end or your running back or whoever the extra blocker is to win against a linebacker or a safety or even a defensive end. And it's just a lot to ask, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, you have to understand here how run fits work for a defense, how defending against the run works. There are different strategies for it, but the one that Utah State used is the one that Miami used, is these these one-gap schemes, which means that the defenders are responsible for one gap on the defensive line, or on the offensive line, rather. And when you bring six guys... You can, before the play, fill every gap, right? There are six gaps in an offensive line. There can be more if there's a tight end, but generally speaking, there are six gaps. There's the A gaps, which are on either side of the center. There are the B gaps, which are on the outside of each guard between the guard and the tackle. And then there are the C gaps, which are on the outside shoulder of each tackle. There can also be D gaps outside of a tight end, but those are rarer. So... If you have six defenders and there's a five-man front, you can fill every gap. From the start, you can fill every gap. And so that's a problem for the opposing running back, for the opposing running game, because there's nowhere to go. If you're running inside, there's no gap. If you're running a, you know, a, on, a, on a pulling play, right, you are pulling a, you're pulling an offensive lineman out of a gap. Suddenly, there's nobody there to block a potentially, you know, penetrating defensive, you know, defensive blitzer or defensive player, and he's going into a gap that has a different defensive player. There's no advantage as the offense when the defense can fill every gap. It's very, very hard to account for. So the only way really that you can do that as an offense is to run outside zone. It's to run to the outside, away from the gaps to, you know, the boundary or the field to space, right? But even then, Defense has six guys. They have guys accountable for that C gap who can possibly chase your chase your running back down, right? This is very, very valuable against the run, especially because of the ideology that Utah State pairs it with. Utah State is a vertical 
penetrating team. That means basically in the in the most simple terms, it means that off the snap, Utah State is not trying to wait to see where the ball carrier is going. It's it's pressure guys are not waiting to see where the ball carrier is going. Defensive linemen, linebackers who are blitzing are just trying to get into the va- the backfield. They're trying to create knockback on the offensive linemen. They're trying to push them back, move the line of scrimmage backwards, and they're trying to penetrate through the line to get into the backfield as fast as possible. That is problematic for an offense because suddenly your your run timing and your run protection is all messed up, and that's what creates tackles for loss. And that's why in 2021, Utah State was third in the country in tackles for loss. You look at the other coaches off of this tree, they're almost always top 10 in tackles for loss. I don't think Vonda has ever been outside of the top 10. It's, it's top 10 or top 15. This is a consistent trait that he can claim for his defense is that they get a lot of tackles for loss. They get a lot of sacks too, but tackles for loss is the greatest benefit of this defense. Those make a big deal for obvious reasons. You're moving the offense back. You are changing scenarios into unique situations that offenses really can't plan for. Second and 14 is really hard to game plan for. It's not what you want, right? And so that's the value of these against the run. The second value is, and and you have to you have to understand what's going on behind the six-man pressures to understand this. So the thing that you're usually going to see Utah State do behind these six-man pressures is called two-under-three-deep coverage, which is it sounds a lot more complex than it is. It is literally what it sounds like. You have two guys in underneath coverage. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, how those can vary. And then you have three defenders in deep zones, deep coverage. That's it. That's what that's what three deep, two under, two under, three deep, whatever you want to call it. That's what that means. Usually in fire zone, you'd have three under, three deep. This just takes a guy away from underneath. So that's important to understand because of what those under defenders, those two under defenders can do. Largely speaking, and this is true at Utah State, it was true at Michigan State, it's true at Pitt, where Pat Narduzzi is now. It's true at a lot of places that do these. Clemson does these. Alabama does some. Uh, Pat Narduzzi calls these for the two under defenders. He calls it hot coverage. Nick Saban calls it eyes coverage. It has a lot of names. What it means, basically, is that these two defenders can adapt their zones to what the offense shows them. If the offense has shallow routes within its its play call, those zones can follow the shallow, shallow routes to deal with those. If the offense is largely attacking vertically, it has you know three verticals, four verticals on a play, those defenders can track with the verticals and help out in the back end. That's the idea, is that they can adapt, they can adjust. This is another Michigan State thing. It ties into pattern matching, which is essentially the same thing in terms of coverage. It's the same idea. It's that you can match what you're seeing from the offense, even from zone, right? It's it's turning zone into man at the point where zone is no longer tenable on a play. There's not a whole lot that you as the consumer of football need to know beyond that. The players understand it. They get what's going on. They can, they can you know... They're the ones who need to know the the minutia of this, but basically that's what pattern matching is. It is it is when zone becomes man because zone no longer works on a specific play, and it, it it's not you know, it's not predetermined. It's a read that happens during the play that the players will make, and then they will follow. It's the same idea. That's that's how the hot zones work, right? And those are important for for pass coverage, obviously, but they can also be really valuable against the run, because when you have a six man pressure. 
so you're bringing six guys. You have the five guys playing playing coverage. You have two underneath, right? If those two who are sticking pretty close to the box, they're five, seven yards down the field at the start of the play. If they, while they're dropping, see that it's a run, they can close in. They can, they can tighten in. And suddenly, just from, from, from this, you have six guys who are penetrating vertically, and then you have another two behind them. Just like that, you have eight guys in the box to, to account for the run, right? The offense is not going to have eight blockers. It just isn't. It doesn't. It doesn't really happen in football anymore, and so you have a a loaded box. It is very very hard to get eight guys in a box as a defense because of the risks that that would then apply to the pass defense. But with this adaptable coverage, you can have eight in the box against the run pretty much every time the defense runs or the offense runs. So you have six defenders who are gapped out, as they say, who are filling each of those gaps, and then you have another two behind them who can help with any overflow, with missed tackles, with, you know, a running back spills outside, they can track him down, right? Justin Rice was really good at this. Cash Gillum was really good at this. They were asked to do a lot of this. And that is that is the, the greatest benefit of this is that you have these vertical penetrating guys up front who can cause a lot of havoc in the backfield, and then if your linebackers are good or if your guys in hot coverage are good, they can add another two defenders to the box every time they run the ball. Right, it's really hard to run on these defenses. That's the that's the primary appeal, which is unique. Most blitzes are designed primarily to rush the passer, and this can do that. I'm going to talk about that next. But the greatest strength that this defense has is against the run. It's it's in creating havoc plays. It's in creating tackles for loss. It is in having an eight man box from what is a what is technically a six-man box at the start of the play. You have six guys in the box at the start of the play, but because of the way that this this look can adapt, you can have eight on any given running play, and that's really hard to deal with as an offense. It's very, very hard to scheme out clean runs against eight-man boxes consistently, and this is, Utah State doesn't do this on every play, but on obvious running downs, you will see a lot of six-man pressures. So, the second part of this is rushing the passer, and I think is is worth explaining as well. So, the like I said earlier, the benefit, the greatest strength of zone blitzes, generally speaking, is that they are safer. They are safer because you're not putting defensive backs on an island. In the NFL, you'll see a lot of cover zero, which is man coverage across the board with two blitzers. In college, you're not going to see a lot of that because these are college kids. That's a lot to ask. The idea is the same here. It's just a little bit less safe because you only have five defensive backs. You only have five guys in coverage, right? So that's the that's both the problem and the solution to the passing game as a defense is that you have five guys in the backfield. You have that same coverage, right? And that just needs to be capable against the pass. It doesn't need to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be open space. But the idea of this against the pass is that the pressure will get home in time. It will get to the quarterback in time that the the coverage being kind of weak on the back end, the coverage not having a ton of guys on the back end won't matter. The, you know, the rush is going to get to the quarterback in time that he won't be able to find an open receiver. He's not going to have enough time. He can't exploit the defense. And when you don't get home, it can cause a lot of problems. But that's the idea behind the pass rush. And the way that Bonda assures that the pass rush is going to get home 
that Diaz does that all of these guys do is with overloads, with overload pressures. You'll see a lot of these from Utah State. They love these. And overload is exactly what it sounds like. Like all of this stuff, it is it is literal. Overload just means, overload pressures just mean that you are attacking a specific part of the protection scheme. It could be one guy on the offensive line. It could be one schematic thing that you have seen from the offensive line. It can be one gap. It could be any number of things. But the basic idea is that because you are so flexible in your six-man pressures, you can bring those extra two guys from anywhere. They can come from anywhere. You don't have to bring pressure from the defensive line even. You can pressure with two defensive linemen and then four guys in the back end and have two defensive linemen dropping into coverage. You don't do that a ton, but that's the thing here is that this these looks are so flexible, you can change the front so much because you are bringing six guys, because you are you are you have this defensive flexibility, and you can use that to attack to attack specific parts of the offensive line. Let's say it's third and eight. You're bringing a six-man pressure, and you know that the offense's right tackle is weak, right? And let's say that the the offense has a running back in the backfield, but he's on the left side of the quarterback. He's away from the right tackle. What you might do is you might bring a cornerback a slot cornerback, and you might bring a linebacker in in pressure. And then what you're probably going to do is you're going to have a defensive lineman or even two step in a way to attack that right tackle. They're going after the right tackle. They are leaving an, an offensive lineman, probably the right guard or a center, without a responsibility. There's nobody for them to block because you can move the place that the pressure is coming from to throw it all at one space, all at one guy. If you have a defensive end, a defensive tackle, both attacking a right tackle, he can't get both of those guys. Even if the right guard adjusts and picks up one of them, then you have the cornerback coming, you have the linebacker coming. The best case scenario is that the running back is able to adapt really quickly and pick one of those up. Even then, you have a free rusher to the quarterback. One of those guys is not going to be accounted for. That's the entire idea behind the overload. It is literally you are overloading a part of the offensive line with bodies that it cannot handle. And that is the best way to get home quickly. Because if you're just sending six straight up, the offense might have an answer for it. It might be able to, it might win those battles. The running back might be able to take on a linebacker for enough time that the quarterback can get the ball off. If you're throwing three guys at a right tackle, he can't do that. He just can't. He can't handle all of that. And so... That's one of the ways <clears throat> from these looks that you can generate a pass rush, and it has to get there quickly. That is the number one quality that you need to have from six-man pressures in the pass rush is it has to get there quickly. I'm talking two seconds. It's got to be fast because receivers are going to be open. They just are. So the other way that you can do this, and this is the safer of the two options, and this is something that Bond said that they have been doing for years and years, you see a lot of it on passing downs. You'll see a lot of it in general. They really like this, and it's called simulated pressures. And this is my last point about this. And I'm going to talk about a little bit of how this applies to the 2022 roster. And simulated pressures are the same idea as overload pressures. You are loading up one part of the attack to to go after one guy specifically. But the strength of simulated pressures is that you're only bringing four people. You're not rushing six. Because you're showing six before the play. 
And the offense knows that you will rush six. It knows that you are willing to do that. It has seen you do it. But you're not going to. You're going to drop a defensive lineman at the snap. You're going to drop a linebacker at the snap. Those guys are going to look like they're rushing. At the snap, they're going to step as if they are rushing. And then they're going to drop into coverage. But them doing that, them selling that, is just as valuable as them rushing because it takes away two offensive linemen or three if they're good at it. And suddenly, you still have the advantage as a defense. If you have faked a rush from a defensive end and a linebacker at the right tackle and right guard and then dropped them into coverage, while you're doing that, you can rush two to the other side or you know whatever you want to do, and then you can throw a linebacker and a cornerback at that right side of the line, which is preoccupied by guys who aren't even rushing. And so you're still able to you're still able to overload, but you can overload from a numbers disadvantage by doing this, by by sacrificing a second at the start of the play, you know, with those those guys who are not actually pressuring by having them sell it. If you can sell it. You can pull the right tackle and the right guard in this situation away from the play, blitz right into where they should be with a cornerback and a linebacker. Those guys can still be free, unaccounted for rushers, but you're only rushing four, which means that you have seven guys in coverage because you are dropping that linebacker, you are dropping that defensive lineman. It's hard to throw on seven men in, in a zone coverage. It's, that's you, know, you could do regular cover three with that, with three deep zones and four underneath zones it's going to be really hard to find that space and you have unaccounted for blitzers all the same and so the pressure is going to get home pretty much just as quickly as it does on overload but there are seven guys in coverage the quarterback has nowhere to go with the ball there is nothing you can do against a well-run simulated pressure your best hope is that you run the ball into the right spot but when you are passing the football if you're playing against a defense that brings pressure consistently with six-man looks, and they're showing a six-man look before the, sna- before the snap, at the snap they are selling a six-man look, and then they drop into just a four-man pressure, they bring it from the right place, they attack the right place, there's no good answer for it as an offense. And Utah State does a ton of that, will continue to do a ton of that this season. Which brings me to my last point here about how this might work this season. I think you're going to see more of these. I think you're going to see more simulated pressures. I think that they were a little bit hesitant to do it last season because of Nick Henninger, who was so good at rushing the passer that, and this doesn't mean that they never did it, but it was it is hard to justify taking him out of the pass rush and dropping him into coverage. It's hard to justify as a coach. That's difficult. That's a difficult thing to come to terms with. And so largely they didn't. I think this season, unless someone like Byron Vaughns or Patrick Joyner Jr. steps into a starring role and they become that guy, which I think Vaughns could. I'm of the opinion that I think Vaughns has that potential. But if those guys are both just still you know, good to very good like they were last year, but not on Hinninger's level, I think you're going to see a lot more simulated pressures. You're going to see Utah State willing to drop those guys into coverage. They are good athletes. They can handle it you know, into into short coverage looks, and then pressure coming from a, a more inexperienced linebacker room that might need a little bit of help in generating pressure through overloading the defense. I think you're probably going to see more of these. I think you're going to see less standard looks on this defense because you have more, you know, there are new, more new faces, and I think there's going to be a mandate for Efrem Bonda to generate 
easier looks at pressuring the quarterback, easier looks at overloading a run scheme. Um, and I think that the best way to do that is with these pressures. I think you're going to see a lot of these this season, as especially as the defense sort of comes into its own and finds new stars. This is a very good way to cover up for some growing pains defensively. And that's sort of what the... The I think the, the, the reason I wanted to write this story was I think you're going to see a lot of these this year. You're going to see a lot of six-man pressures, a lot of simulated pressures, a lot of m- more unique, creative stuff as Utah State tries to create better opportunities for its defense that it maybe didn't need to last season because of all the talent that was on that group. That's not to say that there's not talent here, but there are not proven superstars coming into this defense at quite the level that there were last year. And so I would expect a more unique, a more creative Utah State defensive scheme, even than the one that we saw last year, which was already creative. That is the best way that I can say it. So (laughs) all that being said, I'm going to talk a little bit now about the quarterback room, just because I'm interested in it. Uh, I wrote another story this week. This one's available at the $6 tier. Um, just sort of previewing the quarterback room, and I don't think that there's a ton to say about this, but I just I want to talk about it briefly because I'm I'm interested specifically in the backup situation. So obviously, I don't think I need to say a ton about Logan Bonner. I think you know about Logan Bonner if you are listening to this. You're well aware he's the starter. He will be the starter this season for as long as he is healthy. Um, no real questions about that. I don't think there's going to be a ton of rotating. I think it's going to be Logan Bonner. The thing that's more interesting to me is Levi Williams against Cooper Lega. So Levi Williams has, there are a couple reasons that he is here, that he is at Utah State, right? I think a lot of people are familiar with the story about, you know, his girlfriend being at Utah State, him wanting to, to be with her at Utah State, him being interested in Utah State, at least partially because of that. Um, and I think that that is a, a compelling part of the story and can explain some of it. But I, I don't think that Levi Williams comes to Utah State if he's not expecting to take over the starting job from Logan Bonner next season. And that's the thing that I'm really interested in, is to see how Utah State handles that this year and going into next year. Because Cooper Lagarde just won a bowl game. He did a very good job in that bowl game. His experience is limited outside of that, but he looked impressive. He looked a lot like Logan Bonner in what he was able to do. And Levi Williams is coming from a very, very different offense at Wyoming. And so next season, I'm of the opinion that with a year under his belt of learning, I think Levi Williams is going to be the starter. I just do. At this point, I think Levi Williams is going to be the starter. I don't think that he leaves a starting job at Wyoming. I don't think he turns down the potential to start at other schools. I mean, P5 schools that were interested. Ole Miss was among the the teams on the list, right? I don't think that he turns that down to go to Utah State, you know, knowing that he's probably not going to start for two years, right? I don't think that he was given any assurances, but I think that if you're Levi Williams, you're pretty confident that you can win the job next year, spend this year learning, and then beat out Cooper next season, right? I'm not assuring that, Anything could happen. I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again. But that's my guess. The thing that I'm interested in is this season, I'm curious to see who gets the backup nod, and I'm curious to see how much the guy who doesn't get it is used, right? Because I think that if Utah State is looking for a, 
you know, a stable, trustworthy option at backup, Cooper's probably the guy. He knows the offense. He's been here. He proved himself in a, you know, in a, in a situation like that last season. And you know that you can rely on him when you need him. But I, I, the, I'm interested to see how Utah State balances that against getting Levi Williams reps within a new offense in actual games. If it thinks that he's the future at quarterback for the next two years after Bonner is gone, then how much more valuable is is Cooper's experience over what Levi can bring talent-wise and over his potential moving forward? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I could totally see, I think my guess right now is that Cooper's probably the primary backup this season, but that in blowouts, in the fourth quarter of you know the Hawaii game or the Yukon game or the, the Weber State game, whatever it is, I think that it's probably going to be Levi. I think that if, if Bonner gets hurt in, in a you know in a close game, it's the second quarter, they need a quarterback to go in, I think it's going to be Cooper who goes in. But I'm interested to see that dynamic. And I'm interested to see what that bleeds into next season for the, the spring and, and possibly fall quarterback battle because I think it's largely going to be between those two. There's, you know, there are a couple young guys who are going to be involved as well in the 2022 and 2023 classes. But I think it's probably going to be Cooper versus Levi. And I'm interested to see what this season tells us about where Utah State's staff is on that. Because I think that if Levi is the primary starter this season, then it's over. <laughs> I don't think that there's, I think that they'd be pretty, I think that'd be pretty open about who the guy is. He's younger. He is. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm speaking out of line here. He's more athletically gifted and talented than than Cooper is. I, I I think he just. I mean, he's more athletically gifted and talented than Logan Bonner is. That doesn't mean he's better, but he's he's a freak athlete. Six five two thirty runs extremely well. Big arm. I I don't I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. But if he's not the backup this season. If this year is just about learning the offense, if he's sitting on the bench, if we don't see him very often, I'm very, very curious about what next spring is going to look like because you are, at that point, picking, you know, Utah State's picking either experience or talent, and I don't know which way it would go with that. I think that going with Cooper for a year, giving Levi a second year to learn the offense would be interesting. I'm not sure if they're going to do that. I don't know if Levi wants to wait that long. And I don't know how big the drop-off would be, right? I don't know how long it's going to take for him to learn the offense. It's very different from what he did at Wyoming. And I don't have anything definitive to say on this. It's just something that has been rattling around in my brain that I'm interested in. I'm interested to see it in fall camp. I'm interested to see it once we get into the season. I'm certainly interested to see it next spring. And it's just something that I have been thinking about that I have been, you know, considering this week as I was writing that story I don't know I don't know the answer I'm interested to hear what Anthony Tucker would have to say about it what Blake Anderson would have to say about it I will certainly ask uh, once we get into you know fall practice what the plan is for that Um, I know that Cooper looked great in spring practice from what I heard I like I said I think he's probably going to be the big situations backup and I think that Levi is going to get the it's going to be the guy who gets the cleanup reps and I think that's probably how I would do it. I would give them pretty much a clean slate, equal reps going into next spring, and then see which you know see which thing wins out. If it's Cooper's experience, if it's his, you know the 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 phrase that I've seen is that he's a winner, right? If that 
carries in, if he's able to win that job, then then fantastic. You, I think you feel great about that if you're Utah State. If Levi's athleticism, if his ability as a you know a pure playmaker has has combined with his experience within the offense for a year, if he has a good grasp on the offense, it's going to be really hard to go away from him because of how talented he is next season. And so that's something I'm going to be watching. I mean, I have more of these stories coming in the next couple weeks and months, these these position previews. They're going to be coming for the basketball teams as well. Um, but that's all I've got for this week, just something that's been on my mind, something that I'm interested in. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you are a subscriber at the $10 a month tier, um, there's going to be a Q&A show coming soon. I need to figure out a couple things on the back end before I do that, but in the next week or so, be on the lookouts for a uh, a newsletter for only the $10 subscribers that is giving you a chance to send in your questions for that show, and then subsequently, the show including your questions, which is going to go just to you, just to the $10 tier, not free, not going to be on this podcast feed, it will be somewhere else. Um, it's going to be only for the subscribers at the highest tier, just like the film studies, just like a bunch of stuff as we get into the season. So if you're interested, if you have questions, if you have your own opinions on the quarterback room, on the blitzes, whatever it is, um, subscribe at the $10 tier, give it a try, send in your questions next week. Once I get that figured out, um, I'd be very happy to have you. And, uh, I guess until then I will, uh, I will talk to you guys next Saturday morning.